0: mind the shift i am anders bolling your host how is your country doing and the world well you know where to look it up right most of us think of the news as a primary source of information most of us follow the news on a daily basis but it seldom makes us feel good more often gloomy hmm why is that i mean my own life seems nice enough and uh, my friends are mostly fine are we the only ones? Or maybe the news isn't that reliable as a source of information? My guest today is Ulrik Hagrup, former editor-in-chief at the Danish daily Jyllands Posten, among others, executive news director at the Danish public service broadcaster, and the founder of Constructive Institute. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, I've worked uh, at news desks almost half my life and uh, the drill is something like this. This is a little bit simplified, but it's not too far from reality. Always find the flaw. Always find the conflict. Always be suspicious. Always ask, how bad can it get? Never ask, what is the best way out of this? And God forbid, never ask, how good can it get? Now, you, Ulrich, you, uh, you got tired of this negativity bias after decades in the business and founded Constructive in- uh, sorry Institute, or, or what happened? Can you tell us what made you decide to leave the bleeding headlines and try to change journalism?
1: I guess I eventually um, started to realize that the people who have been criticizing me, um and my profession um which i have been stonewalling for most of my career because that's what we do we don't want to be criticized that maybe they were not completely right but maybe there was some truth to what they were saying so i realized that more than any other profession journalism is the filter between reality and the public perception of reality and i realized Looking at events in my own country and globally, that people make decisions not only when they vote, but all decisions, not based on what is reality, but what they pursue be reality, what they think are the facts. And when you come to think of it, what, what that perception of reality from? They get it. They get it from. What they see with their own eyes, who they talk to by themselves, the rest is media. So I realized, and it took me actually many years to realize it. Uh, I might have said it in speeches. I might, might have bragged about it how important we was, but uh, we were. But I was maybe not really realizing the importance of journalism and the editorial decisions we make, and the impact it has. On the way people perceive themselves, others, and the world they are part of. That we influence more than anything else how people see the world. And if the way I filter the world is not based on an ambition to give people the best obtainable version of the truth, which which I thought I did, because when we journalists, we we are with other journalists, and that's mainly the only persons we talk to outside job. So um, we we keep reassuring ourselves that we are really doing good for society, and we are so important for democracy, and we are the backbone of public debate, and we, without us, everything would fall apart. And I do feel that that is very true. But I came to a point when I, Realize that we might also be part of the problem of the public, tr- the, the tr- trust meltdown in democracy and in journalism. And I strongly believe that we also have to be part of the solution. A lot of people criticize journalists, and I I think that some of it is partly true, and we have to listen to that. But we have to listen to it in order to find a way where journalism can play this important role in democracy that we should play. So what, what we should talk about today is not that journalism is bad, that it should not be there, but journalism has to reshape itself in order to play the role in society that we're supposed to, because if we were not there, who should tell people about important matters in society? And should that be interest groups? Should that be banks, insurance companies or politicians themselves? No, we have have to do our job. And if we don't, it leads to populism. It leads to polarization. It leads to trust meltdown. And if the the press doesn't work, democracy malfunction. And that's what we see maybe not so much in Sweden, maybe not so much in Denmark, where we have tendencies of it, but you can just go to Germany, you can go to the United States to see, and Great Britain, to see what happens in a society when the press stops working, when people don't want to pay attention, they don't want to spend their money, they don't trust what we do, what happens in a society and that's why it's so important, and that was the reason why I decided it's not enough to try to change DR. I have to try to change myself, and, which is hard enough. And if I can do that, is it possible to change the global news culture?
0: Mm.
1: And this is that's so important. that you, mm-hmm. you, you, There comes a time when you can't say to yourself, this is so important, important that somebody has to do something about it somewhere, sometime.
0: Then you have to do it yourself. The change yes. that you're waiting for, yeah. You, you have to do you it yourself. Be the, be you the change that you want to see, yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, it, it, it sounds very Gandhi-like. I think he was the guy saying it. But it's, um, I think it's true. It, you, 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 have to, you have to start with yourself. Yeah. I have well, that spent goes for small issues
0: and, as, as well as large issues. It goes all the way, I think.
1: I have spent a lot of time in, in public debates with politicians and CEO and interest group people, and they are all being... And, and it always ended up who were, who were really the most stupid part. And they were saying that I was and my profession was doing wrong. And my response to that was, well, you could start yourself... As a politician, why don't you start said so you if you behave well and did your job, that wouldn't be any problem. So we had a competition publicly, year after year, who was the biggest asshole? Pardon my French. <laughs> and 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 that or that the biggest is liar. Me, and who cares? And and it, it might be true that both politicians and journalists should change. And I've come to a point when I realized I cannot change anybody but myself. But if I change, if I ask different questions as an editor or a journalist, I get different answers. I influence behavior. I influence the way people see themselves and each other. My choices as a journalist matters. And I have a responsibility. So this is a matter of values or uh, self-awareness, you might say, and why should journalism be the only profession that we should not be critical about?
0: Good question. Uh, me, my, myself, I can sometimes think actually to myself that, uh, you know, dry information from authorities is closer to reality than, than, than the news. I've never dared to say that in, openly among journalists because they would get mad at me, but you see my point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it 's really very uh, there's always an angle do you think it's always been like this in journalism the, you were talking about this the thing that uh, the fact that we that journalists are so important for democracy and and should be the beacon of how people get informed when before they go to uh, to to elections and things like that has it always been like this or has it gone gone berserk in, in, during I, the last
1: I, I, two, three decades? I, I, it's, it's a both. end. I don't, we always talk about the good old days. I don't think there was a good old day in, in, the, in the press. There was a lot of bad journalism um, uh, way back then when journalism was mainly part of, you were hired by a publishing, a publisher who's, who was really a politician in the political struggle. Uh, so you filtered the world accordingly. Um, that was the issue for many times. Then there was a period where you basically, basically, just put your name on the press release. Uh, you were not really digging. You were not really doing a good enough job. So I don't think that you could say that in the good old days everything was fine and we should go back to that. This is not about going back, but this is this is trying. You know, after 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 this summer, if as a 57-year-old man, you don't dare close the door in your bathroom, take off your clothes and go on the wait and look in the mirror and take the consequence of what you see. Then you have bad habits and you keep eating ice cream and you drink too much beer and you will end up getting fat and your wife will end stop thinking you are very attractive. And she will start looking at other men. And at some point, you can't fit your clothes and then you will die. I mean, the, the point is we have as, as professional professionals in journalism, we have to dare standing in front of the mirror and take the consequence of what we see. And if we dare start taking a break, look in the mirror and really see ourselves in the mirror, do we really like what we see? And what is happening now is that a lot of editors, a lot of publishers really don't like what we're doing. We are becoming a fast paced, uh, mediocre, cynical professions running for clicks, running for shares, trying to get it in, in this growing war of attention. And to answer your question, I think what we have seen, the combination of. The, the, the post-Watergate syndrome, meaning that we all want to tip presidents. We all want to bring down somebody. We want to get appraisal from other journalists that we look up to. That is one thing that creates culture. Combined with the digital age where the, the amount of deadlines has increased rapidly, the speed um, in, in newsrooms has increased, and the, the management tools in newsrooms where you have all these KPIs, which, is, which change the focus of journalism to what, how many clicks do you get, how many shares, how many views, how many converts to subscription, all that becomes important because that's what you can measure. And if, in any organization, if you can't measure what is really important, then what you can't measure will become what is important for you in your culture. And in our culture, how can you measure that your job at Darkness Nyheter is to enlighten people in Sweden and give them a balanced view about themselves, other people and the world they live in? How can you measure that? But you can measure if you are bigger than Expressen or if you have a growth rate higher than uh, uh, Svenska Dagbladet, uh, or you, how many clicks and shares and all that can be measured. So this... Business school logic has ended journalism, which to some part has been good, but not only good because it has shifted the the attention in newsroom to what can be measured instead of the responsibility we have looking at what do people really want, not what and need, not what they say and what not they, what they click on, but. What is the responsibility and how can we play the role in society we need to play in order to have democracy uh, function? So I think we shouldn't go back, but the, 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 the problems we had created for ourselves and have created for society has increased rapidly in the last, what, 20, 25 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Are you talking about only about mainst- the so-called mainstream media now, or are you also talking about, because now we are we are approaching this fa- fascinating subject of what this uh, change of journalism has done to the, the, the relationship between so-called mainstream media and alternative media and what is called fake news and the polarization that you were mentioning. I mean, these are actually three questions, but what are, what is your yeah. take on what this change in journalism has done to uh, the appearance of so-called alternative media and the appearance of so-called fake news which i personally think often is just when somebody says something you don't like you call it fake news but anyway that's a different issue and then also polarization can you can you answer these three little
1: (laughs) It's it's a lot of subjects on top of each other but but let's start with the fake news Yes. I reckon that in Ukraine and in, in, in many countries, fake news is one of the main issues. I mean, misinformation and state-controlled try to manipulate public opinions. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. But the digital age has increased the impact of it and the speed. The truth of the matter is, it's not really a problem in Sweden. It's not really a problem in, in Denmark. We just talk about it, and we have an American, a leader of the so-called free world trying to use the expression fake news about anything he doesn't like, which is screwing things up. Fake news in our part of the world is not really the big problem. News is the problem. The way we filter the world, and you and I, we have never written a fake story. We have never invented quotes. We have never lied. But I can say that I have filtered my journalism so it fitted to a headline. I have learned, and I was very good at angling either on the black or the white, despite the fact that reality was in colors in between. Hmm. Or you might say the 50 shades of gray in the middle. But I was <laughs> trained to to look for the angle and every information every quote that would fit into my angle and disregard all the nuances in the middle because that would blur the picture in that way i was not lying but i was not really telling the truth because i i think nuances was it was complicating the narrative right i think and and in in that process i didn't lie but I really didn't tell the truth either. The, numbers was, the problem was not that the numbers were wrong. The problem was that the picture I presented was wrong. right? You come from the same country as Hans Gosling, and he made a very big contribution to the world by documenting that people have a screwed picture of the world. They think the world is far worse than it is. And where does that come from? It comes from you and I and our culture, the way we fill the world for people. I have never, as an editor in the old days, sent a reporter team to Rwanda or Burundi in the last 10 years in order to talk about the exponential growth rate in their economies and how life is prospering. I only sent reporter crews to Africa when there was civil war, or if I could get Red Cross to pay for the flight tickets to fly to a, to a refugee camp where there was a drought and a lot of uh, skinny children with eyes in their eyes. And I'm not saying we shouldn't cover that. I just say we never did stories about the growth rate in Ethiopia, that change of power in, in countries like in Ghana. We never spent time on that because we didn't think that that was our job. Our job was to do stories about things that didn't work with the consequence that people in my country think that everything in Africa is hopeless. There's only problems in Africa. And if you've been there, you know, there's a lot of problems in Africa, but there's a lot of potential, a lot of great stuff going on in Africa. And that's just... That's just a little example of how we screw the 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 world, the, the picture of the world, and the perception of the world,
0: right? I yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's it's uh, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I actually worked a bit with Hans Rosling as you mentioned, so, um, and I've written a book uh, together with a colleague uh, about Africa and Africa's challenges. So I know, I know exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about, and it's it, it's completely true. So let let's let's go over to the the concrete stuff that you're working with right now. I mean, Constructive Institute and what you're doing on your website, it says this is a global hub for people who believe that journalism might be part of the problem in the trust meltdown in our democracies, but also that journalism needs to be a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you are doing and trying to change in your institute?
1: We, we are trying to help publishers, editors, board members, reporters to uh, stand in front of the mirror and take the consequence of what they see, try to come up with new concepts, new ways of angling the stories, basically saying constructive journalism is three things. One, it's about nuances, not only the black or the white, but how do we do stories about nuances? If we only cover, if we only do stories about all the people who die of coronavirus, but never do stories about all the people who were not infected or got well again, then people just get afraid. Um, Of course, we should count how many people die. And of course, we should compare Denmark to Sweden and strategy and all but we should have the full picture. So that's one. Number two, has anyone come up with ideas that we can learn from fighting this? An example in the coronavirus, the story coming out of South Korea about they had a problem, they had to test a lot of people in in South Korea and, and do it in a safe way. They couldn't bring them into the hospital, and then, then to have to, they have to clean the whole hospital after each patient. It took a long time, so they came. They got the idea: why don't we, as Mac, drive at McDonald's? So people sit in their car. They drive up. There's a nurse putting in the the stick in their mouth and take the sample, and then they get an SMS uh, two hours later whether or not they are infected or not. That way of trying to test a lot of people in a safe and fast way has spread through media to Denmark and Sweden and a lot of other countries where hospitals are doing that. So a good story is not only about the problem but also stories that can inspire to potential solutions, right? And the third thing we try to work with is how how can can journalism can, can a journalist use his pen or microphone as more as a, than a dagger or sword trying mm. to nail somebody? Can we have a debate which is not orchestrated like a boxing match where you have blue corner and red corner and you, you see yourself as a journalist as the referee whose main job is to put people up on their feet again so they can continue fighting because that's where the entertainment is and the money is? Can journalists use the microphone or the pen as conductors where you basically uh, ask different questions in order to figure out what can we do about it? Can we ask the questions and engage people in a conversation about now what and how? Uh, How often do you hear a question in a debate on TV where the news anchor would ask one of the people, in the, in, in the studio, is there anything he just said that you agree on? <laughs> That's a different question than what do you think to the fact that he just called you stupid? And my fellow, my, my colleagues have been trained, now they're, they're starting an engine out here, I don't know what it is, cutting the grass. <laughs> we have been trained, okay. we have been trained to, to enhance the conflict when it was there. Can we do it differently? So that's three ways we try to work with constructive journalism.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, talking about this uh, um, interview situation and debate situation, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the symbiosis between, uh, and maybe this is part of the problem also, part of the reason why, it has, why things have gone where they have. There's a symbiosis between journalists and decision makers of different kinds, not not least politicians. Uh, I think you can agree there. It's, it's kind of a little dance. And it's very difficult to get out of that little dance, I think, uh, because I think the, I, politicians, they have their own agenda and their own way of also interest. They have an interest in angling things for their own purposes. And they use journalists and journalists use politicians. So it's a Kind of a dance there. So how to get out of that? Um, don't you think we have to, or you have to, involve even politicians in this work?
1: And, and we actually do. We um, do? Yeah, we did. Just after the election uh, we had in June last year, I got so frustrated that I thought, now these new people, one third of the parliament was with new people. And they came in and I said, what will happen now? nobody will tell them about the job they're getting. They will be put in a political party and somebody will tell them, um, you can only say anything when we tell you to, and you should say what we tell you what you say, and you should, uh, the and, and we will applaud you if, you if you say something bad about your opponent. So I say, so one of the problems in, in democracy is that a lot of people don't want to follow politics anymore. They don't want to be member of political parties. They don't want to participate in the political climate. And a lot of people don't want to run for parliament anymore because the political climate is so infected by conflict and cynicism. That we need to do something about. It. Should I try to ask them to? Sh- can you can you hear that in the microphone? The, yeah, the but it's safe? not it's
0: not very loud in my in my. Um, uh, okay,
1: I can earphones. I can take the microphone a little way. Okay, so what yeah, we did was what we did was that we um, uh, I invited all the newly elected uh, politicians to what we call 24 hours for democracy, and oh, we wow. gave them basically we treated them as if they were newly employed in a big national company saying, okay, here's, here's the market. Here's the, here's Denmark. Um, we, we did it in, in, I invited the head of the national statistical office. He came and did a talk. Uh, I had former ministers who, and politicians leaving Danish politics out of frustration and come and talk to them about what would they have loved to have somebody telling them when they started. Uh, we, have, we talked about leadership, what is leadership compared to management. How, and, and we had a, the, the, uh, a, the leader of the year of Denmark, the best leader uh, coming in and talk to these politicians. And I talked about journalism and the political culture. They were there for 24 hours. And oh. um, all these newly elected uh, politicians, so they could ha- create a network and they could start talking and they had been in, they had been elected for two months at the time, and they were already now so frustrated and their main frustration was the culture they were part of, and the main reason for the political culture was the press. They were being called up by journalists by respected media, asking them, I still remember this newly elected politician saying ask the other ones is 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 it supposed to be like this i was i get a call from a journalist from a big newspaper asking me for a comment on a report that came out 20 minutes ago and i say to (laughs) the journalist can i get 20 minutes to read it and she said no i need it now i have a deadline but i haven't read it yet well then then i will go to for uh, another political party in the opposition, and they would get the airtime, right? And she said, well, then I think it's, and and then she had to come up with something and criticizing the government for not doing enough. She hadn't even read the report. Hmm. And she said, and she was so frustrated. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Some of the politicians, they spend 70% of their time in parliament dealing with media trying to do tweets, trying to update that Facebook profile, try to write op-ed pieces that could go into newspapers, try to pick up the phone when journalists calls. They are so obsessed with journalism. Mm. And yeah. that If we don't train them, not as most spin doctors do, try to deal with this, just do more of this, which will just make the problem worse. We have to help them understand what's going on that, and, and we have to both help the politicians. When I say we, I say constructive institute, not journalists. And we have to tell the journalists what, what's the consequence of what we do. Let me say something maybe very controversial. Shoot. Comparing terrorism with the, the most important handgun and weapon for terrorists, such as ISIS, is not Kalashnikovs or suicide bombs. It is journalists. The whole idea behind terrorism is that you create news stories that are so dramatic and so newsworthy that they will be covered by doing so, the journalists and the news media will spread the fear to the mass population. That's the whole idea behind terrorism.
0: Mm. Same That's thing. also a symbiosis, symbiosis between the terrorists and the journalists and the of politicians. Course. Of course. It's not a big dance. It's a big dance. I'm
1: not comparing populists like Donald Trump to terrorists, but I am saying that the same logic lies behind what populists are doing. We had one in the, running for Danish parliament, calling Rasmus Paladin. He was the first three weeks of the, of the political debate, the, the election debate, the second most to the prime minister, news-covered politician. Why? Because he constantly went out in the Muslim neighborhood to burn the Koran. Why did he do that? Because then he would get in the news. Because mm-hmm. all the twenty-four hours news, uh, TV stations, all the tabloid papers, and the so-called serious news organizations were sent out news crews there. Because what if he did it? What would happen if the Muslims tried to kill him? What would that? He was deliberately the news criteria, with the result that he was so exposed. Donald Trump in 2016, early 2016, at a time when he was not really, got media coverage in the American press for 1.9 billion U.S. dollars, which he had had to spend on advertising in the United States. But he didn't have to spend one dime because journalists and news organizations did the job for him. At that point, he said, media loves me why did media love him because trump knew exactly what he was doing he was creating conflict he was creating drama He divided everybody into crooks mexicans or muslims or victims all you losers of globalization vote for me let's build a war he got he got so overexposed the freak show so what you talk about, the symbiosis between politicians and journalists. If we don't take care, we will give the microphone and the airtime to the politicians who are loudest, most rude, who are cr- mostly criticizing everybody else, who's blaming somebody, who's creating drama and conflict and divides everybody between crooks and victims with the results that that would lead to overexposure to populists, people with easy solutions, and people who mainly blame everybody else. Our instinct in journalism is that we, 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 we focus our attention and therefore also the public attention on that kind of behavior in
0: politics. Yes, because it's also enterta- entertainment, isn't it? I mean, when you get engulfed in this, when you're working with journalism, you, you feel the, the drive to entertain also and, and, and all that. But, well, I guess the core of, it, of, of the whole thing is it's a it's very, it. very simple truth. It's the truth of truths. And <laughs> it's, it's very trivial, but it's that we are all humans. And we're all just about the same, and but we identify with the roles that we that we uh, take on, and that we just point out to everyone else. And that's we think that that's us. But anyway, what do you think? Well, talking about that, how how much of this do you think if we if we focus on the negativity bias? I, I hear that you are also talking about the bias in general in journalism. It could also be a positivity bias, which is less okay. common but but there is a bias anyway it's always angling but if you talk, if we talk about the negativity bias how how much uh, of it of, of that is really fundamentally human that people that, that it's human to look for danger because i mean maybe back in the on, in the stone age we we were it's constantly had to look for dangerous animals and all that and in this society where nothing almost nothing, nothing. is dangerous and I know Hans Rosling has been talking about th- these things as well. Then we kind of search for danger, and that means that we we are looking for danger. Even I mean, to what extent is it human, and to what extent is it just journalism gone over ambitious?
1: It's not over ambitious. It's it's playing on human instincts, and you you're absolutely right. We have psychologists talking to us about that, and there's science documenting what you just said that we are primed in our DNA to constantly search for danger because if we're not looking, if there was a little rattle in the grass to the, your left, there could be a sable tiger there and jumping up and eat your second child, right? So we are, we are primed to look for danger and we, use, we have used that. And with breaking, we, we're constantly pointing people's shoulders. You have to look here in this growing war of attention. Look here. There's a tree fallen in Indonesia, and somebody died in Yemen. And there's also something wrong there. And look there. And this might also be bad if this happened. Blah 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 blah. So we we do that. I think the point is, I think the point is that psychologists say there's one force which is even stronger than fear, and that's hope. There's a the. the Hope is the reason why that people to all ages have gone up in the morning, despite of all, thinking today might be better than yesterday. We can do something about it. Hope is really a big driver, and I think if we're really cynical about it and really commercial thinking about this also, we have been very cynically focusing very, very much on trying to talk to the lowest instinct in the fear, trying to tell people all the bad things that can happen with the consequence we talked about. There are a lot of things that, that have gone wrong. There are a lot of things that we should tell people in journalism about things that, that are potentially dangerous. And of course, we should talk about that. We shouldn't ignore, this is not a North Korean version of journalism we're talking about. We shouldn't paint the sky blue. But if we could also talk about ways out, hope, inspiration, now what and how, which are the two Mm. questions that none of us have learned in our journalism education, but which are questions leading to hope, to ways out, then I think we do commercially journalism a good job and we do society and people a good job. So, this again. This is not. We should take care of the tyranny of the or, as the Americans say it. It's not an either or. Either you're critical or you are constructive. Either you focus on things that are fearful or you only talk about hope. I think it's a question about giving a fair and, and picture see the world not only with the eye that confirms the angle you have when you start your research, but try really to see the world with both the left and the right eye.
0: Yeah, and change the angle as you go. if that is. Exactly. But, but can I say one thing
1: about that? And this is one of the secrets of journalists, which is not really healthy for journalists if it comes out to the general public. But the <laughs> truth is, a lot of stories are made in journalism where we have the angle desk or before we pick up the phone, we know what we want the source to say. Especially on TV, I mean, in news journalism, you have written your script, your clipboard before you sit in the car driving out to the scene, because otherwise you can't your story, you lose time, you won't won't be able to file your story back to the newsroom before deadline. So for a generation or one and a half, journalists in TV news very often know exactly what the the story should be before they start going out into reality. So what I have found is really interesting. Now, when I don't have to produce stories every day, when I invite people in and we talk with them, not in order to get quotes out of them, but in order to have a conversation with them and understand, and sometimes they say something that surprises me. Sometimes they say something that really surprises them because we have a conversation about it. But we don't have time in journalism to do that on a daily basis. And that's really dangerous,
0: because then... And it's is, really not very interesting if you have the angle ready on beforehand, no, is it? No, but
1: the, the truth of the matter is, a lot of journalism is done like that. I was an extreme news reporter, thinking if the world were like this, it would be a damn good story. And then I started my research, and I looked for the number in the report that would confirm my angle. And I skipped all the the. <laughs> numbers that might nuance the picture. And then I needed an expert. It really doesn't have to be an expert. You just have to be somebody at a university. He didn't have to be an, he just had to have a title. He didn't have to really know what he was talking about. I really didn't care. So I just called him and there were some professors. They would basically say anything to everything because they love being in the paper. So they would be expert on whatever. And they had never done any research on any of them. They just had a title. But I didn't care because then I had my story and then I could, I just had to make the story political. And I could call any politician in the opposition, asking him, what do you think about it? And they say, well, and I said, won't you take it up in parliament? Yes, sure, you can write that. What's the story about? And then I had my story and the politician was happy. The ex so-called expert was happy. My editor was happy and I was happy and it was quoted in all the other media. What was the problem with that? The problem was it was not a lie, but was it true?
0: Who cares? You're really disclosing the dark secrets of journalism here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, You were mentioning education. So that's also something you could ponder here because it to what extent uh, did you learn these skills when you went to i know you went to journalism school in in denmark in the 80s i i did in sweden a few years later and um, i mean we we learned about these um, angling uh, skills there and 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 to see the world in black and white and see conflict as far as i remember so to, to what extent do you think it's needed to change uh, number 1 the 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 journalism education and number 2 the general education of people in schools because i think it's not properly uh, taught to pupils today how news media works they, i mean i listen to my kids my children they're grown ups now but uh, they didn't really learn much about how media works and that it's just a little little snippet of reality that is displayed they think it's 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 the world so mm. how to change I, that i, I think
1: and, and we actually work with the, both high schools and the people's high schools, which is a school system between high school and university. Actually, I'm there now to talk to some of these high school students, you know, children, uh, young people between 18 and 19. Um, they, Danes, they go to these people high schools, I think, before they start university um, or their further, further education to st- And that's the recruitment base for journalism schools. So it's important to talk to them. And yes to everything you said. I think it's important that we we start teaching uh, our children to be uh, critical uh, users of media. And it's important that we change journalism education and let me give you two examples the first teacher i met in 1982 told me and 264 of people a good story is a bad story and he was quoting Great editors, and we wrote it all down. He said, Before interviewing any politician, ask yourself, why is this bastard lying? We so were being taught that the whole idea of journalism was to bring down presidents, and, which is really bad when you live in a monarchy, so we don't have president, But then we have to bring down everybody else in order to get appraisals for journalists. So we were being from day one to, to the fact that a good story is a bad story and if it's about something that journalism, it's advertising. I think it goes also for these journalists that we, in, and it's a very Scandinavian thing, we have been learned that there are five criteria for news, right? It has to be...
0: Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I can't see you though.
1: No, never mind. But I, you can hear me. I
0: you can, can hear, hear you. Yeah. Okay. That's the most important. I, thing. Okay.
1: I was about to tell you that for two generations, journalists in Denmark, and I think it goes for journalists in Norway, Germany, Great Britain, and I think also Sweden, have been told mm-hmm. that they are based when you talk about news there are five criteria for news that we should use in order to make a, a a story newsworthy. And it is sensation, conflict, a sudden event, meaning it has to be something that has just happened, and um, it has to be relevant and important. the The question was, If that's what we are taught, where does that come from? And we looked into the textbooks, and they all referred back to the first scientific article written about news. It was written in 1965 by two Norwegians, Galtung and Ruge. Johan Mm -hmm. Galtung was a Norwegian professor at the Norwegian Peace Institute, and he did that survey about four Norwegian newspapers and looked into what they had published and figured out what were the criterias that made it be publishable. And he read an article. If you read that article, and we read it, it's very long, it ended up with a warning saying, if you continue to do this in the press, it would lead to two things. One, a growing tension both nationally and, globally, between center and periphery. And, number two is, people will get a wrong picture about the world, because everything that is dramatic and full of conflict will be overexposed. I said, what is that? So I tried to figure out when Mr. Galzung died. Mm. It turned out, in Wikipedia, that he was born in 1930, but it didn't say when he died. So I said, maybe he's still alive. So I found him. He lived in his house in southern Spain. Oh. I, I took a plane down there and did an interview with him. It was the first time that he had talked to a journalist for many years, because as he said, journalists have for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, completely misunderstood what I was saying. Mm. You are now teaching each other, generation after generation, about a standard which I meant as a warning.
0: Mm. Well, what he predicted is pretty much what has happened, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And that's what, what was his point was. He was an extremely bright guy. I read, wrote an article for The Guardian about it, and he was at, at our second global uh, constructive journalism conference in, in Geneva, being 88 at the time, and he came there, and from stage he said, you have misunderstood what you're doing, and it is, it is destroying politics, and it's destroying journalism.
0: Oh, wow. Um- would you say, do you, do you follow news less now than you did before? Would you even recommend people to follow the news a little bit less to, to feel better? Mm,
1: I, I don't think this is a matter about feeling better. It's about being well-informed. Yeah. So I, well, I it ch-
0: could, be, could be the same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I try tried, I tried to choose. Um, I still like news. I think, I think the, the most scary thing, for us in our profession and for society is that it has become socially acceptable to for people to say to each other i don't want to follow news anymore i don't want to be part of the the, the, the societal debate i don't i have dropped out i spent my time on netflix series and facebook updates from my 762 closest friends uh, or if you're a man I watch soccer matches and play on them all the time, and all play PlayStation. That's what I spend my life on, and that has become socially acceptable. Just five years ago, there would have been an uncle looking at people saying something like that, saying, "Are you mm. crazy?" It's part of being a decent citizen to, 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 to understand what's going on in the world. You have to follow the news. Now no, <laughs> it's becoming OK to say, "I don't want to do it. I don't care."
0: That's true. Well, I can I can tell you that I, I I follow the news much less now than I did a couple of years ago, which which has to do with my inner and outer journey, myself, my personal journey. Mm. And, but I'm I mean I'm an I'm an old journalist. I know exactly where to find the information anyway, and I know pretty much about the world. And and if you have these little uh, news flashes on your phone, you would get. I mean, if something big happens, you would know. You don't have to. I mean, I was I was watching three, four news shows a day and read two newspapers a day. You don't have to do that. And I realized no. that, I mean, you, and you don't have to play on soccer. You can meditate or you can walk in the woods or you can do sure, a lot sure, of things. Sure. That, so. Exactly.
1: And, and, and I think, uh, I mean, I had to be constantly updated through every story all the time, which drove my family crazy um, yes. and maybe also myself. So I, I, I do it differently now because I don't have a job where I have to do it, but I, not only because I have to be, but because um, because I, I, like, I, I like to be informed, but I read differently, I watch differently, I' am more selective on, on who I, uh, what I spend my time on, and I want to uh, I, I think the, the stories that give me perspectives are more interesting. Stories that are inspirational are more interesting for me. Um, I, I get, I get, I get fed up, fed up during the coronavirus that all these figures coming out, how many people were infected in Hungary and it was like soccer numbers coming out all the time. Yeah. Um, but but I think it's interesting to figuring out what is the strategy they're following in Sweden and in Brazil and uh, what's going on. I think it's interesting to figure it out. less Danes have died in 2020 so far than in a normal year, um, um, despite of corona, um, mm. because people don't get infected, less new babies are um, uh, die uh, or have difficult birth, uh, maybe due, due to the corona because uh, pregnant uh, women are less stressed when they come in or whatever it is. I think all these tendency stories are really interesting uh, what is it was what is it doing to our uh, our lives when when we have these lockdowns and uh, when life is is changing so dramatically for for the whole planet uh, what does that do these stories are far more interesting than every hour to check uh, the the latest news flash
0: yeah super super important and this has been a extremely fascinating conversation finally i would just like to wrap it up by going back to your constructive institute here and um, i saw on the on the on the website that uh, there are many news organizations joining the institute and i don't really know what that what what that entails uh, i mean do they pledge to be less misery biased or uh, that's that's a question and, and and also you say that you want to change the global news culture in 5 years will you be able to do that
1: so i think it's it's you know when you Heinz ketchup when it came in in glass bottles you had to tap it on the on the on the bottom all the time to try to get something out and for a long time nothing comes out and all of a sudden everything comes out and it's a mess i think dealing with constructive journalism, I feel like I've been hitting the bottom of the glass bottle for a long time and nothing came out. And all of a sudden, a lot of things are happening. Um, A lot of news organizations realize now that, no, this is not a North Korean version of journalism. Yes, people read these stories more, they spend more time on them, and they uh, share them more on social media. It's not only good for society and for the journalistic self esteem, but it's also good for bottom line. So a lot of news organizations are, uh, are picking this up. Most of them in the, the beginning in Denmark, but we have the first fellows from Germany. We have uh, Aust- just been to Australia just before the coronavirus closed down the, uh, the airports. And they have now decided at ABC News, which is the SVT in, in, uh, in, in Australia, to uh, make constructive journalism one of the main news strategies. Same thing happening in in Germany. I've done uh, workshops at the Times of London. Uh, I think that 70 to 80% of all news organizations in Denmark are now working with it. I know SVT is really working a lot with this. Uh, NRK in Norway is uh, saying constructive journalism is the main thing for what they're doing. Also, France television is working with it. So a lot of things are happening. And it's not because we have, it's, it's it's not a religion. It's not something that you have to convert to. It's not that we have answers to everything. But what is happening is that a lot of news organizations realize we have to experiment. We have to be more responsible. There are other ways of doing it that just turn up the volume button in order to get attention. That's what's happening. And a lot of these news organizations come to us and say, we would want to cooperate with you. We would like to share ideas. We would like to have you come and do talks or we would like to share uh, our numbers or our frustrations with you and we would like to know. So we are not a consultancy company. We are uh, financed by philanthropists um, and uh, mainly uh, foundations and um, giving us money in order, based on the logic that they know none of them say they are supposed to uh, support journalism, but when they understand the logic that they support democracy through better reporting, then that's what's, what's working. And uh, now foundation call us because they want to uh, partner up with us and, and, and work with this because they can see this, this is working and this is, uh, this is important. So I think I, I am very naive, but I think you have to be very naive in order to uh, to buy into the old Apple uh, commercial saying people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Hmm. So I do think it's possible to change. I've spent um, all my career in in journalism trying to change culture try to change culture from uh, from a newspaper thinking they were only uh, going to work on, a, a put ink on paper and suddenly changing them to understand they are media house who should also do online and social media and TV and radio. How do you do that? How do you change culture so you have more investigative journalism? Uh, how do you, and, and now how do you change a culture so you, you think in your news organization, your job is not only to scare people and get their attention or to document problems, but it's also to take the next step and say, how do we deal with these problems? You can inspire all these, all these ways of, of uh, changing mindsets, which is, it, it's, 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 it takes a long time, but if you change the mindset, it is, it, is, it is lasting and it's, it's really, really powerful. And what we are seeing now is that the mindset, mindsets are shifting um, and people are uh, experimenting, they're getting results, they're sharing, they learn more. We all learn more and we share it more. And I think it's spreading. And then it's great having a slogan say we want to change the global news culture in five years. You can con you can continue to say five years also in oh yes five five years also. So, but it's 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 more catchy than saying we want to change it in a hundred years, right? But I do think that in we have two more years before the first five years. In two years, no journalism school in our part of the world uh, will not they they will all know what constructive journalism is. The best of them will start teaching it. All the public service stations they will practice constructive journalism the best legacy media will have constructive elements in their news feeds and the news streams and more and 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 we will have constructive institutes in germany we will open that in 2021 and uh, in in southeast asia and later we'll have it in africa and uh, in south america
0: oh that's brilliant so we should all mind the shift in journalism in the the upcoming years now
1: (laughs) i think so and and uh, change is possible
0: change is possible what you set your mind to that is what is going to happen i believe i don't think it's naive i think it's the reality
1: i think it can happen and and especially if and 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 there there are a lot of great minds such like yourself who have been thinking like this for a long time and i think and this is my last point then I'm so old, we have the same age, so we both remember when people in our profession became frustrated with journalism and said, we need to do a better job to dig beneath the surface, to tell Mm -hmm. people about wrongdoings, we need to control power better. So they invented a word called investigative reporting and a lot of reporters said, what the hell are you talking about, every journalism is investigative. But that was not the case, so Mm -hmm. they invented a new vocabulary, and because they did that, we could start talking about it instead of talking about quality or better journalism or whatever. So because we had a vocabulary, we could start figuring out what are the tools we should use. And we could find out how do we get the documents? How do you interview people who don't want to answer? And all that we learned with investigative journalism, which was good. Now the same thing with constructive journalism. It's just a word, it's a vocabulary. But if we have a vocabulary, we can start talking we can understand what we're talking about. We can conceptualize. We can fill up the toolbox with new ways of doing or serving the community better. And that's what constructive journalism is all about.
0: Yes, I think it's a brilliant concept. Uh, fantastic. Good luck with, with this important work. Ulrik Hagrup, and and many thanks for, for joining the show.
1: And thank you for inviting. <music>